Well, good morning, Disciples Church family. It's great to see you today, this beautiful, rainy morning the Lord has provided for us. Will you grab your Bibles and turn with me to the New Testament letter of 1 John? We continue our sermon study through this great letter uh, in chapter 4. Today we reach maybe the, the most famous passage we find here. I'm excited to start into this wonderful gift of God and Holy Scripture, this teaching of love that we really will be focused on for many weeks and even months to come. Our author, the Apostle John, loves to teach on love. He's known in history as the Apostle of Love. Five times in John's Gospel, we find a special title given to him. that He is the disciple whom Jesus loved. John loves this reference of himself so much so that when he wrote his gospel, he never refers to himself by name once, but instead as the disciple whom Jesus loved. If you stop and think about it, I think that makes sense to us. If you have the choice between calling yourself John or calling yourself the disciple whom Jesus loved, you pick the latter, right? John was always so in wonder and awe over the fact that he was so loved by God. And I hope and pray that this is something we can grow in together as well, today and in the weeks to come. That we too would be in such awe at the eternal, steadfast, abundant love of God for us, his elect, his redeemed people. So we are in good hands as we turn to a lengthy study of love in Scripture and continue this letter of 1 John. The reason John is known as the Apostle of Love is because he makes reference to love 80 times in his writings. 80 times with so much to dig into. And I'm excited. Let's get to it. Look with me at our passage this morning. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 10. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. John starts in in verse 7 here, chapter 4, with these words, Beloved, let us love one another. By referring to his hearers again as beloved, John is driving home the fact that they are truly and fully loved by God. They are his beloved. The use of this term communicates not only heartfelt closeness to others, but deep gratefulness for the unity that they have in being recipients of God's divine grace and love. Remember his words in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. John starts chapter 3 with, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. If if you remember my emphasis there, and to remind you that the words what kind in the English or the translation of the Greek word, potopos, the word is meant to convey greatness. And here John uses this somewhat unusual word, in this context, to convey the vastness, the greatness, the incomparable nature of God's love for His redeemed people. 
We see that same word used in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verse 1. He came out of the temple. One of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Potopos, what, what potopos stones, what great, wonderful stones. And so this same Greek word is used by John to lift out from what is common or, or generally known by mankind to that which is high and above all else, known only by some, only by the elect of God. And what is it? This great, vast, incomparable love. The wonderful love of God for His redeemed people. Oh, how we want to know and rightly see the love of God. For it is a great encouragement to us. We want the love of God to be mightily at work in our lives. For any other source of love is counterfeit and second rate. Consider the potent words of Paul when speaking of God's love for us in his letter to the Ephesian believers. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, even as he, speaking of God the Father, chose us in him, speaking of Jesus, God the Son, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. In love, God predestined us. Meaning, inspired and moved by God's eternal love, our redeemed destiny was set and decided before creation. For those who are God's elect, those of us whom, for whom Christ has died, we are loved unconditionally before time, now and forevermore. Think about that, Christian. You can't just grab that in a passing way. You can't just let it kind of hit you. And in whatever ways you're distracted right now, put that away and focus here. That your, that your bucket would be bigger, deeper, to scoop up more of this reality for your soul. God's love is set on you. Not recently. Not haphazardly. Not because of your great performance. Not out of pity for you because of your pathetic performance. But before you did anything good or bad, before you breathed your first breath, before all creation was made, God set out to destine you to salvation, to be part of His eternal family, to love you. How loved we are by Him. You have to know this, beloved church family. If God's eternal love is set on you, you can't do anything to change that. Know that it is not based on your performance. It is based on God alone. Know that He doesn't love you more when you do well, and He doesn't love you less when you struggle and fail. His love for you is perfect. It's whole. So, 
So God saving us, it doesn't depend on our record and performance. It depends on Christ's perfect record and performance in our place. And so this is highlighted in Paul's words in the second chapter of Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Man. What is so amazing about God's love for us is when we slow to consider the absolute deplorable depravity of our condition that was rightly and fully deserving of God's judgment and wrath and our sin, the good news of the gospel that changes everything is that while God would have been completely 100% righteous to just wipe us out, convict condemn every one of us in our sin he chose not to instead of righteous wrath to be poured out on all the father son and holy spirit chose in love to pour out mercy on many many of us undeserving sinners i love paul's word choice here when he says but god These words need to knock us over, church. How absolutely dead and utterly desperate I was in my sin. The only one who could save me and deliver me chose to, and he did it. The story of mankind should equal all of us drowning in our sin. In our despair, slipping away to our ruin, consumed by our enemies. Enemies in the forms of others, in the forms of lies, in the forms of deception, in the forms of mental sorrow and physical sickness. But God, I want us to feel the weight of our condition, to know the truth of our depravity. He didn't owe us anything. But he set his love on us. And he put his love on us. You must know how loved you are. Church. Hear it again. First John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another. We're not going to focus on the depth and application of God's command to love one another today. We're not going to do that so we can deep dive into it in the coming weeks. That said, we do need to see the, the origin of true love and what it is and what it isn't. And so look with me at the next part of our verse. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Church, the origin of love is God. If you were going on a lifelong expedition to find the origin of love, to find its incredible source, its origin story, all roads would lead to God Himself. Understand that love is not something He came up with. It's not something He created. It's not something He thought would be good for us. So He put it to work. No. It is who God is is John is clear to say this essential fact at the end of verse 8 but love let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love this means love is an eternal attribute of who God is What this means is if you wanted to understand love, you don't look to romance novels. 
You don't look to movies. You don't look to Hallmark cards. You don't go exploring deep underground caves. No, you look to God. I mean, that sounds easy, but can we just pause there for a moment and get real practical? You might quickly agree with me. Yeah, okay, I get it. But then are you guilty of going to romance novels and movies and searching the depths of the world to try to understand and find love? Don't do that. God has blessed you with the answer, with the origin. You don't have to go searching. You just have to know Him. It's really important that we see with clarity what John is saying. These verses don't state that God was love or will be love or that He even created love. It says that God is the present terms of the present tense of the Greek word, emi, I am, I am love. And, and so it's so essential that you don't just read 1 John 4, 7, where it says that love is from God, and then read it without, or try to understand it without verse 8. Because love is not just from God. It is from God, but it's not just from God. That's too narrow by itself. It's deeper. It's fuller. It's bigger. It's better than that. God is love. This means that love is not just an action of God. Love is God's nature. One may know something about human affection or love, but apart from the grace of God, redeeming us to be reconciled to God so that we can truly know God, not just know about Him, but know Him relationally, one cannot know anything about true love. Why? Because God is love. It's really interesting how clear this passage is, and yet still, somehow, our finite logic or feelings about this subject still want to question, but is that true? The one who does not know God does not know or cannot live out love? If God is love, can I know or live out love? No. Not apart from God. God is love. But for many, we've thought differently for a long time. We've called a lot of things love that are not love. Real love, true love, reflects who God is. It's holy. It's just. It's perfect. So at its core, love is a noun. It's a noun that moves on redeemed mankind unto action. Current Guitar player, pop artist John Mayer has a catchy song in his 2012 album, Born and Raised, that captures the way I think many people end up defining love. It's called love as a verb. And that's the way a lot of people think about it. Uh, when I first went searching, I remember that lyric, love as a verb, who sings that? And, and it actually first found a Christian band that sang a song, love as a verb. But I wasn't thinking of that song. I was thinking of John's song. <clears throat> While true love of God goes to work in the redeemed believer, 
with action. The problem is that love is not only a verb. God's word is clear to say that love is a noun. God is love. Now I know what John Mayer is getting at and others are trying to get at. They, they mean that words alone are not enough to really love someone. True love is displayed in action. And this is true. And we're going to see this in the coming weeks in the command that God's put on us to love one another, to love others because He's loved us. The Apostle of Love, John himself, agrees that it is true. That love must have action. He says in 1 John 3, 18, we saw this in the last chapter, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Pastor John Piper says it well. If we reduce love to mere action... We will miss love at its source. Making love only a verb, as many like to do, will likely make us Pharisees. Because just like them, we can talk about loving another without really loving them. We can act our love without really loving someone. This is what Paul meant when he says, If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So the action of sacrifice, of love for another, even unto death, by itself, doesn't necessarily equal love. Love can't just be a verb. There, you has to be a noun first. You have to know God We can do the most sacrificial act for another, but still not know or have true love who is God Himself. We're going to get into the verb form of love later in our series, but today let us not miss our opportunity to gaze at God who is love. Today we must dive headlong into the endless ocean of God's attribute of love. Only then are we rightly fixed bathing in God's abounding eternal love, do then we rightly turn to love others like He has loved us. It is so important that we understand the origin and source of true love so that we get love right. We live in a deceived world full of deception. And so we are always at risk of being deceived, of thinking we have it right when we don't. We want to live out His true love instead of the counterfeit love that man has created in its place. And that is where we must go next in today's passage. Look with me again at verse 8. 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. You cannot know or live out God's love if you do not know God. This means unless you know God, not just about Him, but know Him, because you've been reconciled to Him through the blood, sacrifice, and resurrection of Jesus, you cannot and will not know or live out true love. Instead, what you have, what you live, if you do not know Him, is a replica of love, a counterfeit. We see this love all around us. It's so all around us that we're always in jeopardy of calling it love. When it's not. It's a fake. The lost world who is separated from the Holy God thinks that love is what makes a person feel good. And that it is alright then to sacrifice moral principles or even others' rights, in order to obtain such love. But that 
isn't real love. Because love is God. It's holy. It's not... That, that is the exact opposite then of love. It's sinfully selfish to compromise moral principles, even others, to have what we're longing for. It's selfishness. And so let me show you how this subtly lives out in our daily lives. The biggest way we've tweaked love to this counterfeit place and our being separated in our sin apart from God, mankind has done this well, is that we use love then as something for selfish gain. And, and I would say often, our intention or our knowing, our, we don't even really see that we're doing this. So I'm even praying for you who are redeemed and know the love of God for even the ways that you've been guilty of this in the past and or are still caught up in loving, in replica love, in selfish love in your relationships. So that you can confess that and repent of it and turn into something that is truly of God. So what we often do in fake love, replica love, counterfeit love, is we think, the flesh thinks, if I love this person, then here's what I'll get back from them. Here's what I'll get out of them. I show them some love, and then I get this. So we think, okay, well, this they'll be around me a lot. Or they'll help me when I'm down. Or they'll give me things like items. Maybe they'll give me pleasure, physical or mental. Maybe they'll give me status. I'm going to love them, and I'm going to get status. I'm going to get advancement. Secular man thinks love is what we give someone when we want something in return from them. And taught this way for a long time, and one of the places we see is like when you're talking to someone who might be falling in love with someone else, and so, well, why? Why are you falling in love with them? Well, And what they begin to say is all these things that they love about that person or get out of them. And they go through the list. The counterfeit love that the world knows is why divorce happens. Every divorce begins and ends with selfish love. Some marriages are doomed from day one because selfish love is all they know. It might be very romantic love. Very just experiential and like nothing you've ever known but if if it's selfish love it's destined to fail when that person stops giving you what you want out of them and so it's only by God's grace that we know parents or grandparents or friends who are not saved don't know God don't know his love but have stayed faithful in their marriage covenant. Maybe for many years or decades. Maybe even had what looked like a great marriage together. So, right? That's where our mind begins to go. Well, what about people who I've perceived to have loved each other well outside of knowing God? Then what is that? Well, it's God's common grace. And you need to see that it is strange That that happened because the only love someone knows apart from God is counterfeit love, is selfish love. Hear this clearly. Selfish love will fade away when the other person does not perform or provide any longer what it once enjoyed or longed for. 
If my love for you is based on your performance and your performance changes, then I love you less or I don't love you anymore. We have to see that. So we use, we, we use counterfeit love as like this commodity. It's like this, this currency for navigating this life. And we have been surrounded by a society that plays this game well. And so what you have to do as we study Scripture is climb into the reality of that experience and let Scripture rewire the way you see it, understand it, and think about it. Selfish love will fade away when the other person doesn't perform or provide any longer what was once enjoyed or longed for. And, you, and you've heard it a million times, maybe even said it, I don't love you like I used to because you're, you're not doing this or you are doing this or you're not this person anymore. You're doing something different than was when I put my love on you and now that that's changed, I don't love you anymore. Game's over. I'll move on. We're done. The consequence of our separation from God because of our sin means we don't know His love. Mankind apart from God is dead in sin and therefore only sins continually. Therefore the unsaved, unconverted person cannot know or live out true love. All they have And all you see in secular society living out is their best replica of God's love. The Bible tells us that everything mankind does apart from life in Christ is evil. It's a big statement. Again, evil is not just for thieves and molesters and murderers. It's anything that does not honor God is sinful, wicked, and evil. Any good that's aim is not under the glory of God is evil, sin. So we must have a right view of ourselves apart from Christ. Paul says, I know nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. To the corrupt and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Their very minds and consciences are corrupted. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? Genesis 6, we see God's evaluation of mankind after the fall, his explanation of mankind's condition due to the fall of Adam. Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. One of the more famous passages that speak to our best efforts, apart from spiritual life in Christ, Isaiah 64, 6, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. This means mankind can do many things on the horizontal that are good and helpful and nice and loving according to replica love, but they can't do anything that honors God, that is truly good and holy without the perfect, completed work of Jesus in their place, without their salvation, without the love of God at work in them. So hear it again. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. We have to get this. Everything is evil Everything is selfishness if it's not from God. It might look like love, but it is counterfeit love. A replica being lived out. It's not the true love of God at work. Why? Because God is love. This is John's driving point. We hear it, we go, yeah, and then we walk away and then misapply it. To not know God is to not know love. I don't care what you think you have or call it. You do not know God. You're not reconciled to God. You do not have or know love. The 
Therefore, you can't emulate it, replicate it, copy it. You cannot, while you try to emulate it, replicate it, and copy it, you cannot actually know it. So I want to pause here and simply recognize that there is likely some here today or listening to this later who do not know God with saving faith. You think you're good with God because of your religious background, because of your own beliefs about who He is or how this works. You know of Him. And maybe you see the fruit of His work in and through those who are redeemed by Christ, but you remain an enemy of God because you refuse to submit your life to Him fully. You remain the Lord of your own life. If this is you, please understand God's clear word is to show you that you are dead in sin. You do not know true love. The love of God. Why? Because God is love. And you don't know Him. Your core issue is salvation. You are spiritually dead. You need to be made spiritually alive. You need to be reborn. You need to submit to Him then in faith, the faith He gives you to live for Him, to walk by faith, to trust in His promises. Be saved and know His love and then live out His love. My deep prayer is that it is God's good will to do this in many today. And if not today, then sooner than later. Because there is nothing greater than to know Him and to be loved by Him. And then to love others with His amazing love. Amen? For those of you who do know Christ because you've been redeemed by Christ, see how important it is that you don't put on the old ways of the flesh. And play the game of replica love. You, you're not guilty in the flesh of trying to love someone only for what you get out of it. That's not love. Don't play that game. No, we are to love others in the selfless ways that God has loved us. This is love. It's love that changes everything. So let's look to that. Let's look to His selfless love. First John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. How do we climb into what God's love looks like when it goes to work in us? Thankfully, God's Word blesses us with a wonderful definition of this. Look at me at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 <clears throat> verse 4 through 7. As you turn there in your Bibles, I'll say quickly, if you've ever been to a wedding, you've likely heard this passage read. Whether the people are, who are getting married are Christians or not, they really like this verse. Why? Why is it that non-Christians would read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, if they can't live out these things apart from Christ. And I think it's because it's so beautiful, because it's wonderfully romantic to think about a relationship that's lived out this way. It is lofty to them. It is such an ideal that they want their life and marriage to look like this. So in that romantic moment at the altar, they want to reach for the best for their marriage, even if they have no power to live it out in any way outside of Christ. Do you get that? Those who are not Christians, those who do not know the love of God because they are still enslaved to their sin, cannot know the selfless love described in this passage unless God saves them. Why? 
Because it is impossible to live out God's love when only in the flesh. Only the one who is truly satisfied in God and saturated in His love can actually love like this. And even then it's still hard because the Spirit is at war with the flesh until we're in glory. And so we all get to come to this passage humble, with much room to grow in Christ under these things. So listen, church. Listen carefully as I read it slowly. Listen with fresh ears, church. And can I quickly encourage you to not listen in an evaluation of how others love you this way or not? It's pretty self-focused. Instead, can I remind you that you have been loved this way by God perfectly, completely? And so therefore, what is to go to work in us and through us is this. So that it would change our lives and our relationships and our testimony when we live out the love of God in these ways. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant. Or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things it believes all things it hopes all things it endures all things I often ask what's the common denominator of all that and it is that love is selfless God's love at work in and through the redeemed is selfless It's the exact opposite of the selfish replica love of the world that is nothing but self-serving. God's love and and the way it goes to work through us is selfless, meaning it doesn't require anything in return from the person you're loving. This is how Christians are able to love their enemies when their enemies are actively persecuting them. Because their love for their enemy is empowered by God and it's not powered or motivated by what they're getting back from the other person. Christian, this is how you love your spouse your kids, your friends, your enemies. It should look like this. Why? Because this is God's love at work in and through us. And if it looks like something else, then it's not love. Stop calling it that. It's not of God. It's of the flesh. It's selfish. It's a fake. Christian, God's love at work in us must honor God. It must be out of the overflow of His love for us. If it's not, it won't last. It will be self-focused if it's not out of Him. 
Let me say it again. Selfish love will fade away when the other person does not provide or perform any longer what we once enjoyed or longed for, expected out of them. Selfish love has a a termination date. The absolute contrast to this is selfless love or sacrificial love will always remain because what is to be enjoyed, watch this, is already fully had in Christ. That's how. If you've been going mad until this point in the sermon, how then do we do this? It's because you have what you need in Christ. You don't need that person to perform. You are loved with more love than you know how to even count by God. You don't, you're not walking around going, I'm, I'm a little deficient. I need, I need, will you perform for me? Will you do this? Will you follow through? Please. See, that desperate person is not someone who's filled with the love of God. It's more of a testimony of someone who does not know the love of God. If true love is patient and kind and not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude, if it does not insist on its own way, if it's not irritable or resentful, if it does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth, if it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, then it is of God. The flesh, the person separated from God who is love, will not produce this kind of selfless love. They cannot. Why? Because they don't know the one who is love. Now again, do many secular couples live long lives together in marriage in the replica love they know? The answer is yes. Right? We all know people who fit that description. So what is it that they're experiencing and how are they enduring? They are experiencing the best that one can experience in the application of replica love. And it is simply the result of God's common grace on them. Just why the wicked, shrewd businessman is experiencing a lot of money and yacht vacations in the midst of all of his wickedness. Common grace of God, not to dismite that person. There is a view of what looks like success, of what looks like a good life. That doesn't mean that's what it is. God's common grace means that the guilty enjoy many things in this short life, including, for some, lasting marriages. That doesn't mean that it's the norm. Reality is it's far from it. Selfish love is hurtful. It's devastating. It's, 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 it's hard. It's, it's being used. You may know many who deny Christ, but who are sweet people, caring people, helpful people. We might even say loving people. Replica loving people. But the fact that some end up looking to live an okay life and make it work, please see, does that mean that that's the goal or the norm or what we aim for? Those who are trying to thrive in selfless love and selfish love are constantly let down by the lack of the performance of the other person and what selfish love demands. It is a frustrating journey. And so rolling the dice to hope that you will not end up on the negative side of relational fallout to try to love someone who really only knows selfish love is foolishness at its max. There's so much risk to enter into a yoked relationship with someone like that. Their propensity and their depravity is to serve themselves. They don't have the power to love you through the worst of times. It's just not how they're wired. 
And so when the unbeliever says, I can't do it anymore, they're being honest. They can't. When the secular boss fires us, the secular friend kicks us out, defriends us, the secular lover or spouse divorces us or abandons us for another, what a misery. Paul speaks of this reality in his words to the Corinthian church in the midst of their disastrous testimony. 1 Corinthians 7, 10-16 To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. You realize that's still God's word. God still ordained this to be in Holy Scripture. He's just saying he's not quoting the Lord now in this word of the Lord. Right? So just make sure we're reading that carefully. This is still good and valid counsel from the Apostle Paul. If a brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. He should keep the covenant he made. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Same thing flipped. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. The unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. That's not unto salvation, right? Salvation doesn't belong to a spouse. It's saying that it is good for them to continue to be essentially among the gospel testimony for the sake of potential holiness and in, in, in what God would do in His sovereign will to bring saving faith. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So there's this blessing, the gospel is in that home. But if the unbelieving partner separates, abandons, leaves, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So let me quickly help see why I picked this here. Saved Christians do not divorce their spouses. Why? Number one, because they've entered into a one flesh union by God's design and power, which is ended in death only. And they have the power in Christ to love their spouse despite their performance. Even if they're a wretch. Even if they're completely failed. The love of God in them makes them satisfied in God and therefore not dependent on the performance of the spouse. No matter the poor performance of the spouse, the Christian still loves them with the love that God has given them because they are satisfied in God's love and therefore they can enduringly love their unfaithful, mean, absent spouse. Why? Because that love is not based on their performance. See it again and again and again. It's based on God. Now notice what Paul says here. If the spouse is an unbeliever and the unbeliever wishes to separate, the believer can agree to this separation in the name of peacemaking. Why is this the case? Because Paul understands that the unbeliever lacks the selfless love of God and therefore will often pull back their counterfeit selfish love when they're no longer satisfied in the marriage. There is a reality playing out here that is their reality. And so what does the believer do in that moment? They make peace, not so they can run off and remarry, so they can keep the door open for God to work in that person's life unto repentance, confession, salvation, maybe reconciliation. The best the believer can do is practice peacemaking, to walk by faith, to trust God, to be satisfied in God. Paul says when the believer does this, they actually set the table for possible reconciliation and God's mighty work. 
for that gospel testimony to continue to be a light on in that person's life instead of turning to war with the spouse and mean and playing in the sandbox by their rules. Paul's also clear to uphold the rest of Scripture's clear command the Christian doesn't go get remarried. Why? Because they have covenanted before God into a one flesh union by God's design and power. This is a covenant that only ends by death or until death do us part. The one who belongs to Christ remains true to their covenant before God and their spouse. For those that we're praying with whose spouses have abandoned, we're praying with them in the midst of their suffering that their gospel testimony of faithfulness to their spouse mirrors the faithfulness of Christ for his spouse when we were nothing but absolutely unfaithful to him. The testimony of your marriage covenant still gets to go to work even without the practical essence of the marriage even happening. See with me that God's love is so potent in our lives that it carries us through whatever we might go through, even the worst suffering. We have all we need in Him. We don't need a faithful spouse or anything else to complete us. We are complete and satisfied in Christ, in God's love for us, Christian. So if you're single and fighting and having that thing that, that's ready to mingle, Right? Longing for some relationship in that horizontal way. Okay, maybe the Lord has put that into what He wills for your life, and that might come. But whatever the amount of that gap is in you, is not meant to be filled by anyone else. It's meant to be filled all the way by Christ. And I would say, you're only really ready to love someone else selflessly, when you are satisfied in Christ, if you have that gap and you're looking for them to fill it, do you see that that part of you is looking to love them selfishly? You must then fill that part of me. And what happens when you don't? Uh-oh. I don't love you anymore. Christian who is looking for someone else or something else to work right or to come into their lives to complete them or satisfy them or make them happy is missing the very essence and fullness of the love they have in God. The completeness they have in Christ. If this is you, brother or sister, I love you. Say, repent of that. Confess it as sin. Turn from it. Make war with your weak flesh. Look to the Spirit. Christ is stronger Walk by faith, right? He is greater. Go back to that sermon from a few weeks ago and listen to it again. Walk by faith in Christ and not by sight. David says it so well, Psalm 23, 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not be in want. Satisfied in Him. Philippians 3, 7, and 8, Paul got it. Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. When the redeemed know God, they have the love of God filling our cup in a way that leaves us needing nothing else, wanting nothing more. We're full of God's love. We're satisfied in Him. What this means for those in God's love is that we are able then to love others without any need of them performing for us and loving us back. So here is words again. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love.
Thankful for Steve's teaching on Wednesday at midweek, gathering and talking about the fruit of the Spirit, specifically God's love at work in us despite the performance of others. If you missed that, you need to circle back and grab it. If you heard it, you need to circle back and grab it. Church, we need to know God's love rightly so that we don't turn from it and demand others to try to fill something in us that's lacking. We need to be satisfied in God's love through and through. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. John is qualifying that those who truly belong to God are of God and those who are against God only pose to know God. Those who love others with true love, with the love of God, know God. They have God. They have His love. How do we know? Because only those who have God's love and know God can love like He loves them. Everything else is counterfeit. Do you notice he says that they are born of God? New birth is essential. Jesus said this in John 3.3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So no amount of human knowledge about God is sufficient. He's talking to a very educated man, Nicodemus, here in John 3. Only new birth. What's dead must become alive. What's deaf must hear. What's blind must see. The dead can't believe. New birth is required. The act of God Unless one is born again, those words literally mean are translated from above, top down. Unless one is born from above, from God. And now look with me at verse 9 and 10 in closing. We'll pick up here in our next time in this passage and start here. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. Here's the gospel of love, church. In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Oh, how loved we are by God, Christian. You are so boundlessly loved by God. Do you know that? Too often our flesh is at work and we question the depths of God's love for us. But that's foolishness. Why? Because of the way He's shown you His love. He has shown you so clearly the depths of His love. So abundantly. He didn't just proclaim His love for you, church. No, He has shown it to you in the most profound and enduring way. Listen to it again. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God reveals in Scripture that love has been eternally at work in His Trinitarian glory and is then at work in the bride He determined and chose to purchase for His Son. Scripture reveals gospel love all over the place. We saw it again in 1 John 3.16. By this we know love. True love revealed in Jesus' death on the cross. He laid down His life for the joy that was set before Him, glorifying the Father, receiving glory from His Father, the full eternal joy of His redeemed bride. These are the reasons. This is what gospel love looks like. We're redeemed in God's amazing love, and God is glorified. Chapter 4 of John, John Piper's Desiring God. I love this quote. Love is the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This points us to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's, there's no good news about love greater than the perfect Son taking on flesh, dying in our place, so that we could be freed from our bondage, guilt, and sin, to reign 
with him forever. The greatest love story ever told is not in a movie, it's not in a novel, it's not in a love song. It's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news that changes everything. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of the grace and power of God to, re- to redeem undeserving sinners to eternal life. Through Jesus' perfect, sinless life, His substitutional, sacrificial death, and His victorious resurrection from the grave. These sinners are saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus alone from the eternal wrath they deserved. And they are reconciled into an eternally secure relationship with God. And so you might be here today seeking to know more about the Word or to get, us, to, get to know us here at Disciples Church better. Maybe to consider what it might look like for you to be part of what God's doing here. Maybe you're here today and you're realizing that not only do you not know the kind of love we're talking about today, you're realizing that all you really know is counterfeit love. The imitation love of man, that love that mankind who is separated from God has come up with, and you see it, the consequences of it at work in your life. You must see today, to know real love, you must know God. To be spiritually awakened, to be born again by Him. To cause you to respond with repentance from your sin and total faith in Him. Only in God do you know true love. Only out of the overflow of God do we love others sacrificially and ongoingly. You will never know the true love of God as long as you remain pridefully the Lord of your own life. Turn and trust your life to Jesus and be saved. God has made a way through Christ who willingly gave up his life for us in love. And only to know Him, be saved by Him, can we love in true love. I'm excited to see in the coming weeks what love for others and love for one another looks like. In the meantime, may we know God's love so fully that we're satisfied in Him. Church, it is more than enough. Lord, thank You for Your amazing love. Pray with me, church. Lord, you are good. And and you have done a work that is so awesome. And 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 really when we mine down into it, it's unfathomable. It's it's it brings us to our knees in humility out of just sheer gratitude that you would do this for me, a wretch like me. And that we who now belong to you, Lord, would take so seriously our abiding in Christ, our growing in the Word, our walking accountability accountability with the church in such a way that your love goes to work in and through us. And we're able to love others sacrificially. And it changes so much of our relationships, of our life. Thank you for your love. Hear us as we worship you and respond and life's live for you. In Jesus' name we pray.